welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Indeed. Um, can we debunk the loss of my voice? R.I.P. <laughs> my voice. I mean, I know what happened. Is that me debunking it? You know what I happened. Mean, you can debunk it. That's true, but it's more fun if we do it on the podcast together and make pretend uh, it's a ghost in my voice that's haunting me. Your throat, Ooh. your throat is haunted. My throat is haunted. Is that uh, okay? I feel like there's a pun there somewhere. There is uh, something. That, there's something there. <laughs> Oh, I snorted. That was fun. I mean, it's not a family show, but like still. Is it? Maybe. Who knows? Is it a family show? I support your family. I support your family exploring It's a family show in that some of our family listens to it. (laughs) That is true. My mom literally listened to the episode with uh, (laughs) Jennifer and was like, I do listen to your podcast. And like, that was fun when she was. Referencing you people that we talked about last <laughs> time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, did she did she use the words you people? Well, that sh- the the movie that we talked about oh, you okay. people and how okay. it's like my family during Creepy Critics Corner. My mom was like, "You said I don't listen. I do listen." I do <laughs> so listen. that was a fun moment. So it is a family podcast well, because our I mean, families do listen to it. I guess. One of the people listening, well, maybe listening in. I don't actually know if Norma's listening in. Norma, but Norma is a new patron. That is Kim's Maja. That is my 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 lovely lovely mother. Uh, and since they have combined finances, I'm sure my father is looped into that, but he probably doesn't know my mom did this. But uh, thank you, Norma, <laughs> for being a patron. Thank you, Norma, for making Kim the way she is. We really appreciate it. Are we, are we thanking you. her for that? Oh, yes. Or are we blaming her for that? No, that's, are we a, like, that's a gracious thank you. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Why? Why I is this, love it. Why is I this real? It. <laughs> and no, it's thank you, Norma. We appreciate your patronage and your uh, parenting skills. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. Also, sidebar, um, mm-hmm. before we get started on the episode, I wanted to propose a topic, which I, I oh, wanted to talk to you about. proposal. Is this like, um, I feel like I'm being proposed to. <laughs> proposing that we actually interview our moms for Mother's Day about oh, paranormal stuff. <laughs> That might be fun. It might be fun. That might be something that just goes on the Patreon. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? We'll have to see how that unfolds, but it might be a fun way to celebrate our moms and ask them what they believe in the paranormal and like... It could be a short conversation. (laughs) I don't know. My mom would be a wild time, but she'd also probably just say shit that embarrasses me. So, you know, maybe it's better for for Patreon. Patreon. hey, We can be embarrassed subtly. (laughs) Embarrassed... To the people who pay us. Yes. <laughs> Including your mom, Including who would be the guest. <laughs> yes. Full circle. Um, but anywho, we, we, we did it. I'm so proud of us. Um, okay. So I don't know about you, Kim. I know that you, in general, enjoy living in a high rise where you can have the protection of a security door and numbers to punch in and someone that can't break into your window because you're too high up for it. I am. Uh, I and I know it's mostly because we know too much, mm. but 
I personally would love to own a house someday. Oh, lol. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. With this stupid In this freaking economy? Market. In this economy, it's got to be haunted. Which brings me to certain types of houses that are uh-huh. out there, which truly, like, I follow a bunch of Instagrams that are, like, cheap old houses and things for sale that are, like, in an area that's highly racist where you would never want to live. <laughs> so it's, like, cheap, <laughs> but it's really cute. And I'm like, mm, would it's, we ever move somewhere for a $200,000 Victorian home in the middle of nowhere? No, it's, that's, like, when my friends will send me pictures of houses from, like, the Deep South, and they're like, it's only $100,000. And I'm like, that's because racism like that's location, I mean, location 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 like then you'd have to live there and where it's beautiful and i'm sure there is many many lovely people there's other things <laughs> yeah and then also maybe there's ghosts because it's old like True. i but don't that, know that to me is a plus i see same and so obviously like i have a husband that i have to think about with this too where like hey, he would be very mad at me if i was like Yay. let's buy a haunted house but also he might support it because it's probably cheaper him. He'll know. He'll, He'll find figure out at some it. Well, point. yeah, but then he's attached to the ghost, and it's fine. And then we have a new family member. Who and then knew? you have a new family. It's like Casper. <laughs> Casper's like one of the family. Who doesn't love Casper? Only a monster. I mean, truly, how many times have we encountered a Casper in a ghost time? I'm just saying. I mean, many times. Fair to be fair. But anyway, this brings me to a certain type of house: the Victorian, the Victorian homes are so pretty. They're I love really them pretty. so much. I just like oogle over them like crazy no matter where I am. And I do have a strong appreciation of some in my local neighborhood, which mm-hmm. I'll talk about in a second, because uh, Seattle has some really cool old architecture. It does. And like Los Angeles I has mean, some too. Old. Can we can old. we put the quotes around old? Air quotes, old. Victorian style. Like that sure. that that time period, there were Victorians here um, during that. I meant sure. Victorians as in like the housing, not like the people. Sure, sure, um, sure. But also the people, I guess. Uh, my point is, is that it's not just that it's pretty, but it kind of has an aesthetic, right? And there's mm-hmm. a certain aesthetic to it that just feels kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like think of all the like haunted houses that you've seen in like media or in films like the adams family house is a great example of this norman bates norman bates yes there's so many great examples of like beautiful victorian homes Mm -hmm. but are just like looming sure sometimes on a hill sometimes that has isolated Mm -hmm. that too um but there's something inherently creepy about the queen anne style victorians yeah yeah and i love it like like a lot. Like I want one. Like really, 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 really <laughs> ridiculously badly. Um, and a lot of them are still around. Like I, there was actually one in my neighborhood that just was knocked down that made me so so sad. It was a very cool looking house, um, and they knocked it down to build a condo. Yes, uh, yeah. Boo. Um, right. So you know, I think what's cool though is that you can still find them. I'm sure a lot of cities that our listeners are in could probably find a Victorian in a certain area. Like, I know um, there's a bunch in the L.A. area, but in the older parts of Los Angeles, which are now not the best areas to live in. Um, But they have some of them have some like really wild associations with them. Um, I know a lot of them are also in they're treated like a historical um, land landmark. There's a lot of those that have those as well so that they don't get knocked down. Um, And some owners refuse to acknowledge I don't know, 
maybe a potential haunting or a negative history associated with these homes because they are old. When you have an older home, there's more foot traffic. There's more things that happen in them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a history there that doesn't necessarily exist for newer, newer builds. For example, there is a Victorian uh, home in Pasadena, California, mm-hmm. that Jack Parsons lived in. Does mm-hmm. that name ring a bell to you at all? Do you say Gap Parsons? Jack Parsons. Oh, I was like, I don't know who Gap Parsons is. <laughs> Created the Gap. I, nope, not that person. Are we talking about the engineer? Yeah, he was actually an occultist. <laughs> yeah. And also an yeah, engineer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. didn't, wait, isn't, he's the. Yeah, so he's the one who uh, was tied to <laughs> yeah. Alistair Crowley. Yeah, Alistair Crowley. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a bit of a run-in with L. Ron Hubbard uh, mm-hmm. and also referred to himself as the Antichrist. Fun story. I mean, that's, that's, I refer to kids <laughs> like that every week. It's fine. That one is more well-known. I know our friends, your, our friends, those are your favorite show in the world, Kim. Ghost Adventures did an episode on, on that house to, at one point. I can't do the Roy Kent growl good enough yet. I need to work on that. The... <laughs> Eh. I'm working on it. It's it's not quite there yet, but we're getting there. You know, it's no, it'll never be as good as the lambs are still screaming. <laughs> Actually, technically, that's the Chianti and the fava beans. So I'm I'm off script now, and I feel like you know a fool. what? I still like it a lot. And thank you, right. Norma, for Kim. Uh, full circle. Anyway, full my circle. point is is that there are some really cool looking Victorians out there that have a weird history. And mm-hmm. that, that particular one with Jack Parsons is in Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. There is literally one on the other side of the building I live in, in Seattle, which yeah, I think I, I mentioned to we you. We were talking about that. It's so cool. So this house is on the back side of where my apartment is in uh, the Queen Anne area of, of Seattle. And I've walked by this house so many times. It literally looks like a Victorian that was inspired by a witch and a mermaid having a baby in the late 1800s. Nice. It is the coolest looking, most unique looking uh, Victorian I think I've, one of them I've ever seen, which nice. is like a statement in itself. Sure. It's yeah. actually called the Anki Gowie House, which I don't know. Maybe name. I'm mispronouncing it, but like it's it's actually it's got its own history associated mm-hmm. with it. Maybe we'll cover it at one point, but it has a wild history I didn't know about. And I've lived here for like six years. This building has been here this whole time. And I just now found out through Seattle.gov, which God is bless. such a great resource, um, that there used to be a really sacred tree that actually was located where that house stood that could be seen from the water and the Native American tribes in the area thought it was a a spiritual tree and it was like very, very, um, just a rare, much respected tree. And this dude who came over, colonialism, decided to chop down that tree and before they could chop it down, the local natives came and literally put a curse on the land that the house was going to go on where this tree stood before the tree was chopped down. Allegedly, it's like a hundred year old curse. So it's like this happened in the late 1800s. So it's been over a hundred year. But at the end of the day, I live behind a cursed house. That's cool. Um, The other thing too, that's pretty wild is that 
it's been on Zillow for a long time. It was like I think 2.8 million, which like <laughs> I want to cry because where I did I where like, did I put my millions? I don't. Where are they? Where they go? I want this house so badly. Also, you can stay in it. It's an Airbnb now, which is kind of cool. Nice. But it's for sale now. It's dropped to like 1.7. And what makes me question, obviously, the, the housing market's kind of messed up right now. Yeah. Understatement of the century. But like that's a significant drop in price. Mm. Like what's going on in this house that the price has dropped so significantly? Anywho, older Victorians have history to them. Mm -hmm. There are lots of legends and lore associated with them and not a lot of documentation for a lot of these things. Not like Seattle.gov doesn't cover everything, unfortunately. I mean, you know. Now, there is also a uh, Victorian in Highland Park, California, Mm -hmm. which is in a part of L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an older part of L.A. Mm -hmm. And this particular one is at 5905 El Mio Drive. Mm -hmm. It sits atop a hill overlooking Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and it's this beautiful, historic Victorian home. It's a stunning example of the Queen Anne style, and this home looks, for lack of a better term, spooky. Nice. Like, it has seen things. Like... Lovecraft spooky, Ooh. like like spooky looking house. It's like on Cthulhu's top of a in hill. the basement. Yes, nice. And it's like on top of a hill, and you can see the entire house mm-hmm. from every angle. And it's basically like overlooking a neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is like a classic case of like a haunted house story. Like when you hear about like oh the spooky house at the end of the street. Mm-hmm. Like it's always you can see it on a hill and lightning thunder, right? Like that's the vibe. But like Los Angeles doesn't really get rain that often except right now. So maybe it's in like full display. But this house truly has seen things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually uh, the first owner of this house was a prolific judge who actually studied and wrote about occultism. Hmm. Another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even continued to write about such things through a psychic medium after his death. Ooh. And this home itself is a star in its own right. It's been featured in several horror films. Mm-hmm. Insidious Chapter 2, which I watched like two days ago. Um, <laughs> Spider Baby, Silent Scream. <gasps> Freaking Spider Baby, man! Spider you know baby. how much I love that movie? So the house from Spider Baby. Holy shit! Is this house. Freaking love that house, man! So this is the house that I'm talking about. Oh, so- Spider Baby. It's a great movie. Like, legit, if you've not seen Spider Baby and you're listening to this episode, don't even wait for Creepy Critics Corner. Go watch Spider Baby! Just pause this, watch it, come back. No, seriously, do that. That's how much I love this movie. Sorry. So you can visualize the house then. I if you're familiar can. with that movie, it's right? It's cool. It's got that whole big, like, what do they call it? Like, Ooh, witch's cap. Or, yeah. That's, I mean, turret is more of a formal term. I like to call them witch's caps, but they're I'm also I'm glad that I didn't caps. just, like, invent a word because I was worried for a second. No, it is a turret. You're, that's <laughs> correct. Um, but it's, it's like, Winchester Mystery House has a bunch of them. Mm, um, yeah. So anyway, of course, like, If there's a house that looks like this, there's been a bunch of, like, horror movies shot there. The dude who lived there wrote a book after death. Like, there has got to be some kind of lore associated with this house. Nice. Of course, there's been whispers about the house. Lore is fun. Neighbors talk. Sure. Media exposure can create quite the stir, as we know. Mm -hmm. So the real question is, is it haunted? Is it? 
Tell us, if Gabby, it is, is it? Why would it be? So let's do some digging. This okay. house is called El Mio, also known as the Smith Estate. Okay. And the El Mio name in Spanish means mine or my place. Mine. Mine, 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 mine. We just ruined this episode. I'm so sorry, <laughs> listeners, but also I'm like not sorry at all because I love that we just Kim and I have the same brain sometimes. It's great. Um, so here's what's fun about this topic. When we're talking about like, yes, this has been a historic home, it's in the registry as a historic home. But there's not a lot of like actual deep rooted like research you can do about something like this. A lot of it is word of mouth, people living in a home, telling stories, families, observers telling stories. Uh, So there's a lot of what we like to say inconsistencies. Uh, So I'll kind of point some of those out as we come across them. But really, the question is, is. Where did all this like weirdness come from with the El Mio Smith estate? Uh, is it haunted? Is it not? But like what actually, who, who made it what it is? Who left their imprint, if you will? Can I tell you every time you say El Mio? Uh-huh. Is that correct? Um, I keep thinking it's El Meow. And I'm like, <gasps> it was cats. Cats did it. Cats did it. Um, fun fact about cats. Um, one of my friends has a really grumpy looking cat that looks really like scruffy and like, like he's seen some things. And I told her that he looks like Pedro Pascal and I called him, (laughs) I called him Pedro Catscal. (laughs) Pedro Pascal. You can now find Pedro Catscal on Instagram because she made him an Instagram for Uh, him with that name. I love this. There's layers Um, to why I love this. I'm going to have to look up Pedro. Is it Pedro Catscal? Pedro Catscal, and there's a, a oh, underscore between it. Um, I'm, I'm and then there's just this. one picture. It's one cat. Anyway, I'm for our for listeners it. that <laughs> like a good pun in Pedro Pascal, you're welcome. Um, having said that, let's get back to El Mio, not El Meow, but El, El Meow. Mio. Meow, meow, meow. Um, but, okay, so there are some conflicting resources, like I'm talking about, conflicting pieces of information. Some say that the house was named after the street because the street is El Mio Drive. Um, some say that the street was named after the house. What came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. Take it for what it is. Now, let's talk about the history of this house and, like, how it came to be. Okay. This was built in 1887. Uh-huh. It was designed by Abram M. Edelman, who, fun fact, also ended up designing the Shrine Auditorium in mm. 1925 okay. uh, with John C. Austin. Are you familiar with the Shrine, Kim? Yes, I am. In L.A.? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really famous uh, venue in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I've been to many it's cool, concerts. Too. It's cool, oh, too. Uh, it's big. So, so pretty. It's mm-hmm. super ornate. Um, really, really beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. If you ever go to L.A., try to check out a show there. Um, but, yeah, he designed this house and the Shrine, which is kind of cool. That's very cool. So this house is 4,528 square feet. Uh-huh. Six bedrooms, uh-huh. three baths. Nice. And it sits on 0.53 acres of land, and it's on a hill. Um, it has been the residence of a slew of influential people. Hmm. We have our friend, uh, the occultist judge. His name was Judge David Patterson Hatch. Okay. It also has been... Uh, 
lived in by the head of the Los Angeles Railway, uh, Charles Warren Smith and his family, uh-huh. who, uh, fun fact, were kind of known to be pretty wild party throwers. Party! Also, uh, Los Angeles Deputy Mayor Michael Gage. Okay. Um, and then, obviously, like, in between those people and a little bit after that, there's some regular old folks who just enjoy old Victorian and have an appreciation for all things preserved and historic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was declared a Los Angeles Historic Cultural Monument mm-hmm. and listed on the National Register of Historic Places as well, which is kind of cool. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into the people who made it what it is. Mm-hmm. So Judge David Patterson Hatch, what a name. That is, there's a lot going on there. A lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. So this house was built for him. So if he didn't exist, we would not have this house. Uh, Now, while the National Register actually says that the house was built in 1890, there's Mm -hmm. actually a newspaper article from July 1887 that says that the house was already under construction. Okay. There's a quote that says, the frame of Judge Hatch's $10,000 residence, which is to overlook the beautiful Highland Park when completed, has now been raised, and the owner is pressing the workmen to their greatest endeavors to get it completed. Okay. <laughs> quote. Work. Work. All right. What a lazy dude. Just kidding. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about him. Okay. So David Patterson Hatch was born in Dresden, Maine in 1846 to a farmer named Ebenezer Hatch. Wow. And Margaret Patterson Hatch. Ebenezer Ebenezer. Hatch. (laughs) It's a great name. You know, very Scroogey. Maybe that's why it's... (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, And he apparently was the older brother to two other siblings. And uh, he graduated from the Maine Wesleyan Seminary in 1871. Mm-hmm. Then went on to the University of Michigan Law School uh, a year later, graduated from there. He then married the daughter of a farmer down the road. Okay. Ida Stilfen. Good name. 1874. Sure. And he was made the district attorney of Otter Tail County, Minnesota. Otter Tail. <laughs> That's adorable. Otter Tail County. Uh, And that happened the same year that he got married. So congratulations. All right. So he ends up practicing law in Minnesota for a bit, then decides to move to, depending on your resource of where you find information, either Santa Barbara or Orange County, California. Okay. Uh, In 1875, those two are very far apart. So I'm just like, what? That's not even like neighborhoods, but okay. Sure. Um, He actually became a superior court judge for a county in the area that he moved to at the same time. Okay. Um, He and his wife ended up having four kids. Eugene, Mm -hmm. who apparently only lived to see... Yep, but also only lived to be three years old, which is very sad. Oh, sorry, Eugene. Um, I know. Uh, He was the first uh, born in 1877, died 1880. Bruce, uh, who lived to be an adult so that's good Uh (laughs) Ida Jr. Um, and David Patterson Jr. so not the most creative names for their children but I will let that slide Um, so they then relocated to LA and he had his first trial ever um, in that area over the Perkins Baldwin case does that sound familiar to you at all the Perkins Baldwin case Uh, it's not ringing a bell that's okay. I will tell you all about it. Okay. Uh, please so, do. So uh, 
And I also know you love a transcript and like I do. Do an article one? title. I have multiple article titles <gasps> for you that we're going to go through in a second. Just for the sake of entertainment, truly it's not relevant to like anything we're talking about. And that's like our rule is that <laughs> we only talk about things that are relevant unless for entertainment purposes for unless. Kim. So we will get into that in a second. But so this case was a case in which teenager Louise Perkins uh-huh. sued 59-year-old Lucky Baldwin for mm-hmm. breach of marriage promise. What? So it's already funny to me, um, but like I have questions. I'm like, wait a minute, what, is, what does this mean exactly? So this guy like promised to marry this teenager, this like sick 59 year old dude, which at the time is just like grandpa status because like mm. old, um, agreeing to marry a young person and she's suing him for not doing it. Like that's Aww. pretty wild. So Aww. here's what he was though. Lucky Baldwin was a gold prospector who became one of the wealthiest men in Los Angeles and actually founded the Santa Anita Park on his estate. So this guy had money. So I can see why she would be a little upset if, you know, there's like uh, this older rich dude that says he wants to marry her and then he backs out of it. So eventually, uh, this case was a really big deal at the time. Um, It was followed daily by the press and... If you search the LA Times, you can find the articles written about this uh, case. There's literally more than 50 articles in the LA Times on Dude, this. Dude, seriously? Yes. So I'm not going to read you all 50 of them, but I did want to read you. And also some of the reports have the contents of Lucky Baldwin's actual love letters to her <laughs> and like every other detail of the case. So if you want to look this up, be my guest. You can find it. Um, I wanted to just read you some of them now. Okay. So here are some of the fun titles. Lucky Baldwin sued for breach of promise. Miss Louise C. Perkins, prosecutrix. She claims that her affections were damaged to the extent of $500,000. The history of the affair as told by her friends. Okay. That's one. Um, Here's another one. Perkins Baldwin, the plaintiff closes and the defense reigns. The mudslinging has commenced. Louise's visit to Colton, a choice lot of witness. Many contradictions nailed by Mr. White. Just so much. The mudslinging. Okay. These titles are just so like fancy pants. Perkins Baldwin, another very sensational day's proceedings. Mrs. Dexter distinguishes herself. An impressive scene which didn't work. A Judas of a lover. Lively Lulu drum. (laughs) Judas of a lover. I love that expression. (laughs) They're just, it's very entertaining. Um... Some another one says his really revolting admissions. Ooh, God forbid, gasp. Uh, you know, there's lots of fun ones in here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you want to look it up, there's there's a bunch of them in here. Um, but yeah, there, it's it's very entertaining. Uh, just really eye catching, if you will. So this was a pretty big case, and how it resulted was that initially the jury awarded the plaintiff seventy five thousand dollars. So she was okay. asking for like five hundred thousand, which at the time, like that's a fuck ton of money. Excuse my French, but like. No, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. So she's rewarded $75,000 initially. Okay. So something something worked, you know. Uh, But she actually faced a retrial and ended up settling for $12,000. I mean, Mm. I could see why a judge would gain recognition by all of that 
you know, hoo-ha going on in the public eye and all these 50 articles in the LA Times. This is your first case. Of course you're going to get, like, well-known, right? Sure. So moving on. In 1886, Hatch uh, left the bench and became a senior member of the Los Angeles law firm Hatch, Lloyd, and Hunt. Um, He also decided to pursue research and writing on philosophy at this time and specifically on the occult. Mm. Also, like, 1886, this is, like, late 1800s. This is the time of the Fox sisters. We talked about this many, many, many episodes of spiritualism. And so, Mm -hmm. like, while we might look at this as, like, ooh, the occult, spooky. Like, this was pretty common for a lot of people at that time. (laughs) Boys becoming men. Men Men becoming becoming wolves. wolves. (laughs) Werewolf bar mitzvah. That is not... (laughs) (laughs) That's <laughs> not what this topic is, but always a fun song to say. Uh, it's going to be my next topic. Thank you. That You know, we always love a good cryptid. I'm just I saying. I love a good <laughs> uh, werewolf bar mitzvah. I've only been to a couple in my life, but uh, they've never disappointed. Touche. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> So I don't know about you, but I know that I, I love uh, doing too many things at once and saying yes to everything all the time. <laughs> I think you know that's true of me, too. <laughs> and that's why we require coffee so we can get things done. But then it is sometimes mm-hmm. often all the time backfires on us. Yeah. No, my problem with coffee is, uh, I mean, like, I love it. I drink too much of it. But if I drink coffee past a certain point in the day, then I'm up all night. Yeah. So then I'm tired because I don't sleep. So I have to drink more coffee. So then I'm up all night and it becomes. But I relate. I I feel like I tend to drink more coffee to try to get more done. And then I just get so shaky and jittery that I can't function. And my anxiety goes to the roof and then like nothing gets done. So productivity is a challenge when you sign up for too many things. Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, in the sake of efficacy. (laughs) We try to find a better way. Well, we actually had the opportunity to try a product called Magic Mind. And what's so cool is like they're just they're little these little tiny bottles. And I loved that I could just wake up, go to my fridge and take it. Yep. And it was so quick and it's so easy. I'm not preparing anything. I'm not having to run out to get to get more coffee. Uh, it was just this this tiny little bottle in my fridge. Nice. And you can drink it with or without coffee, Mm -hmm, too, which mm -hmm. is kind of cool. I know we took it for like a week. Mm -hmm. um, And I noticed the difference pretty immediately. I know that it's like the longer you take it, the more the effects show. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Um, yeah. But for me, I found that pretty immediately I was able to see I was way more productive, less stressed, more focused. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to get distracted when I'm in the middle of a project. Didn't happen as much when I was doing this, which was kind of nice. Less stress, less anxiety big goal of life. It's got some (laughs) nootropics in it um, Mm -hmm. to help you stay focused, relaxed, flow state of mind, but also I know one of your favorite ingredients, matcha. Matcha. I love matcha. I love matcha so much. Anytime I see that it's in something, I get like weirdly excited. So (laughs) it's so good. And it has uh, L-theanine in it that reduces stress, which is really cool and allows you to just, you know, have a more natural approach to caffeine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know I've actually referred it to a lot of people that I work with because we are all workaholics and like to get <laughs> stuff done. And so, hey, if we can be more effective in what we do, let's do it. It's a good it's a good product for ghost hunters. It is. We, you know, yeah, it's perfect for ghost hunting. <laughs> and having said that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Magic Mind has graciously given us the opportunity to uh, share a deal with our listeners. So if you go to magicmind.co slash ghoulish tendencies, you can get up to 56% off your first subscription order if you order in the next 10 days or 20% off a one-time purchase if you use the code ghoulish20. So he starts writing about the occult, and some of his works included in 1898, Some Philosophy of the Hermetics. Uh-huh. 1898, Some More Philosophy of the Hermetics. I, this is not a very creative title. Um, in 1905, Scientific Occultism. Uh-huh. I'd read that. Totally. Um, in 1899, I'm backtracking a little bit, uh, L. Rashid, which is a series of books that were actually written under, quote, the Hindu name of Karishka, but he Hmm. wrote it. Um, Mm -hmm. He also wrote The 20th Century Christ in 1906. There was also one that was published in 1910 as Paul Karishka, so same name. Um, And then uh, Straight Goods and Philosophy in 1910, also published under the Karishka name. So... um, Around 1900, he actually met a man, quote, from Damascus representing a secret lodge of Christian hermetics. And he decides mm-hmm. to go with this guy to British Columbia, leaves his family behind, uh, and goes to study with this man for six years or so. And then his health starts to fail, so he decides to go home to L.A. Um, mm. And in 1912, he died of Bright's disease. Mm. Um So after his death, the Times called him, quote, a remarkable man who was exceptionally versed in the deep philosophies of life and who had obtained a deep knowledge of universal laws, which, although natural to himself, appeared as mysticism to those who had not followed his great mental strides, end quote. I mean, that's a really nice thing to say about somebody after they die. That is, no. Right? Yeah. But he wasn't done after he died. (laughs) I hope I'm not. I don't think you will be. Um, Hashtag afterlife goals. That's going to be our hashtag for this episode. I love it. Um, So now we're going to meet Elsa Barker. Elsa Barker was an American novelist. She wrote short stories. Mm -hmm. She was a poet. She was also a spiritual writer. Mm. She became best known for Letters from a Living Dead Man. Okay. Sorry, there's a Rob uh, zombie. It's uh, letters. uh, Oh, it might be letters to a living dead girl. Actually, now that I think about it, but that or letters from a living dead girl. I think. Uh, Anyway, that's not. I mean, that might be inspired by that. To be honest, very well. It very well write me. Now I got to figure out if I'm correct on the title. Um, it's uh oh it's just living dead girl there we go sorry it's no letters it's nothing to do with anything. Anything. it just it made me think of living dead so there you go sorry night of living dead night, uh night many of. options mm-hmm. um so she wrote letters from the living dead man in 1914 mm-hmm. war letters from the living dead man in okay. 1915 and last letters from the living dead man in sure. 1919 mm-hmm. All of these books contained what she was saying were messages from a dead man that was produced through automatic writing, which we've talked about on previous episodes. Right. Yeah. And apparently she started doing automatic writing in 1912. Oh. Guess who this dead man was? My mom. Your mom is currently living. Norma is our patron. <sighs> That's right. Thank you, Norma. Please keep doing that. Not your mom. Um... 
it was our friend, none other than the judge, David Patterson Hatch. Mm-hmm. So also sidebar, apparently uh, Elsa Barker's dad had also been interested in the occult and she started, she started to share the interest because of her influence from her dad. Mm-hmm. Ended up becoming a member of the Theosophical Society, which is kind of cool. Is that like your esophagus? But theoretically, maybe. I don't know. Your theoretical esophagus? Also a that great sounds like band a great name. band name. <laughs> Get out of my head, Kim Dalpin. Get we're out of my fire head. Tonight. It's kind of on fire. Um, here is a direct quote from something that she wrote. On the 4th of February, 1915, in New York, sidebar, another resource said it was in Paris, um, mm-hmm. I was suddenly made aware one day that X, who she used as a reference to this judge, um, stood in the room and wished to write. But as always before, with one or two exceptions, I had not the remotest idea of what he was going to say. Mm-hmm. He wrote as follows. When I come back and tell you the story of this war, as seen from the other side, you will know more than all the chancelleries of the nations, end quote. If the reader will imagine a well-known friend, a vivid personality present with him, then subtract from that the impression that seeing of the physical eye, leaving only the subtle vibration of the actual thinking and feeling presence, then add the indescribable, quote, inner sight, he may begin to realize how I know that X is in the room. Within a few days, Barker received verification from a friend that the information she received from this judge was actually true, that he actually did indeed die in Los Angeles very recently. This is literally like three years after his actual death. So then over the next three years from that point, there were over 100 letters were dictated and published as a trilogy, which ended up being those three books, The Letters Mm -hmm. from a Living Dead Man, War Letters, and then Last Letters. So all three of them, one Mm. was published 1914, one was 1915, Mm -hmm. and one was 1919. Um, All because of our judge friend who owned this house talking to her through automatic writing, publishing Mm. books from the other realm. Um, So death couldn't stop him from publishing shit. So Hmm. good on him. Um, Good on him. Right? Uh, After... uh, Letters from Julia, there's a book from W.T. Steed. It was a best-selling um, channeled, quote-unquote, work, which is based on automatic writing as well. Um, okay. These letters are considered a great resource for insight into uh, almost like an essential guide of the afterlife, which is kind of cool. Hmm. So, you know, um, all these are fascinating, informative, inspirational, sure. You know, if you want to learn about life, death, afterlife, why we're here, what have you. But at the end of the day, it's just weird shit associated with this house. So yay for weird fun facts. So I wonder if the judge is still hanging out at the house. Mm-hmm. So let's go Very back to well the house. could be, yeah. He could be, right? Yeah. So let's go back to that house. So after the judge lived there, it went to the Smith family. Uh-huh. And uh, it was acquired by Charles Warren Smith. In the mid to late 1890s, I don't have an exact date for that, um, and stayed within that family until the 1960s. So they had that house for like 70-ish years. That's a long time. Um, that's when it started to become known as the, the Smith Estate is because of this family. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charles Smith was that railroad man that I was talking about earlier. Right, and he was yeah. the first uh, vice president of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway. Mm-hmm. Um 
He was the receiver of the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad and the general manager of the Pasadena and Los Angeles Electric Railway Company. This is like before cars were a thing. <laughs> um, in 1900, uh, Henry Huntington, what a name, named mm, Smith. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. Described him as, quote, an old-time employee of the Southern Pacific, having been with the road in its early days as the superintendent of the Los Angeles Railway's streetcar lines. Uh So he ended up uh, retiring, and the L.A. Times reported when he retired, Manager Smith has earned a rest, if anyone has, from years of arduous toil as the manager of great transportation properties. So this guy was very much respected. He seemed pretty well off. Um, And... During the time that he was there, that's when they had some wild parties. So if we're talking about, like, early 1900s, in 1901, the Smiths held a 4th of July party. Mm-hmm. The freaking L.A. Times did a number on it. <laughs> and really? they Yeah. They described huh. it, quote, from 8.30 until 12 o'clock, dancing was enjoyed at the home of Mrs. Smith. The mm-hmm. music room was decorated with pepper Boughs and roses and streamers of red, white, and blue ribbon hung from the center chandelier to the sides of the room. Punch was served on the side veranda, which was decorated in roses. So, like, classy party is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Didn't stop her from continuing on the parties. In June 1904, Mrs. Smith hosted a Japanese tea at the house. Uh, and I don't know how, like, appropriate this is, but this was 1904. Yeah, um, nothing was appropriate in 1904. No. Uh, it featured Japanese music, was served, TC was served by Japanese girls. Mm. Stereoscopic views of Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and an address by a woman who had lived 12 years in Japan. So this woman who lived in Japan for 12 years decided to talk about it. Uh, the tea was apparently a fundraiser though, which is kind of cool. And the mm-hmm. admission to get in was 25 cents, which like I'm sure at the time was like 10 bucks or something. I don't know. Sure. In the 1930s, a one longtime Highland Park resident uh, called the Smith House uh, as one of the first in the area. So that that's the one of the few homes in our section of Highland Park uh, that has been here the longest. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the oldest in the neighborhood makes sense why it's on a hill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Smiths had a son. His name was Stanley Quay Smith. He married a Clara Moore in 1911. Mm. He ended up living in this house until he died in 1958 at age 72. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's hanging out. If he Maybe. died in the house. Sure. I don't know. Now, according to his obituary, he lived uh, on the family's landmark since 1895. So okay. long time. Long time. Uh, you know, there are a handful of other people that lived in this house. Um, there was someone named Shane with the last name Shane, someone with the last name Padilla lived there uh, after 1964. Um, after 1964, William Wise lived there. Uh-huh. Um, J- director Jack Hill uh, filmed Spider Baby, same year, your favorite Spider movie. Spider Baby! 1964 at uh, that house at that time, just to kind of give you an idea of like what was happening at the time okay. when those people yeah, yeah, yeah. were owning it. Mm-hmm. So if we move over to the 1970s, skip forward to that, uh, Lewis and Nora Peters purchased the residence and they really loved how old and beautiful it was and declared it a city landmark, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Los Angeles Deputy Mayor Michael Gage bought the house in 1988. 
And this <laughs> makes me so sad looking at prices of houses. He <laughs> bought the house in 1988 for $515,000. Rude. <sighs> yeah. So at the time, the LA Times noted that Gage was uh, a really like dedicated preservationist and he and his wife Lacey fell in love with the house. Um, they noted that the house uh, had a view of Gage's office at LA city hall. And that was one of the reasons why he purchased the house. Mm-hmm. And he was actually credited in the late 1980s with reviving uh, the political pulse of mayor Tom Bradley's administration. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so an influential dude uh, lived in this house and then uh in 2008, Tim and Mary Parker purchased the mm-hmm. house, and they currently, to my knowledge, still own it. Mm. Okay. Um, so, obviously, we talked about how all these people lived in this house. That's a nice little lineage of who owned it when they owned it. History, you know, imprints mm-hmm. that people could have made throughout the years, maybe residual, maybe actual hauntings, maybe nothing. We don't know. Maybe nothing. Um, but... <sighs> Its most famous on-screen appearance was uh, 2013's Insidious Chapter 2, which I Mm. watched on Sunday. Saw that in theaters. What did you think about it? What were your thoughts? Do you remember? Uh, I was a big fan of the original Insidious. Um, I I like James Wan a lot. Uh, I remember not... And it... To be fair, it's it's been a hot second since I've seen the second one. I'm trying to think if I've actually seen it since I saw it in theaters. It's possible I haven't. Sure. I remember I did not like it as much as the first one. Um, yeah, I remember not liking it as much as I liked the first one. I really liked the first one. But it was I remember being solid. It was fine. Yeah. But like uh, Insidious Chapter 2 came out in what, 2013. Like, yeah. So it's, it's been like almost a decade, I think since it's I've literally seen it. been a decade. <laughs> I, I remember like the teeth scenes that really stood out to me with the teeth falling out, like him pulling the teeth. Mm. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I just don't like it. Uh, no, but I mean like that's, that's yeah. probably my strongest memory from that movie. Well, and what's interesting. So like, it's funny because I watched it and Terrence was like around while I was watching it. And he's like, sure, are you sure, watching sure. another His Conjuring movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just because Patrick Wilson's in it. And I was like, that's not, no, it's not a Conjuring movie. <laughs> Even though it's Patrick Wilson, it's no, no, he's not playing. Yeah, Patrick Ed, Wilson Ed has worked with James Wan a bit. Like he did the Conjuring yeah. movies. He did the, insi- he's, I believe, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have like horror nerds coming after me if I'm wrong. Um, because that's what they do. But I... <laughs> If I am recalling this correctly, this year there is a new Insidious coming out. Oh, and it's not—it's not just that it's—it's it's returning to um, the original. I, I believe the original cast is in it, but I'm fairly positive that Patrick Wilson is directing it and it is oh. his first time directing a feature film. Oh, cool. I can't yeah. wait to watch it then. Um, anyway, sorry, we got a little off topic. No, there. it's okay. Just, we're, we're talking about Insidious. It's, yeah, it's yeah. relevant it's, that it's, this it's house relevant. is the main, it's one of the main but characters. But it, it means it'll probably come up. If, uh, it's very possible they're filming there then. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we'll see the house again soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but for those of you that haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, 
I watched it. I, to be fair, hadn't seen the original Insidious in a very long time, so I don't. Yeah, it's it's. Well, uh, I, I've seen the original Insidious probably more recently because I think it's a stronger film. So I I have it yeah. and and have usually seen the it. originals are right. Like yeah. that's just how it goes. But um, sure. you know, the house is shown as it is, and what's cool is that. The interior of the house was shot for this film as as mm-hmm. well as the exterior of the house. And so I genuinely really wanted to watch this movie just to, like, look at the inside of the house because of how cool it looks from the outside. And um, that's that's rare. A lot of times they'll use something for an exterior. Yeah. Um, and not the interior. A lot of times it's a soundstage for the interior. Yeah. So that's really and cool. James Wan actually talked about the property in the movie's production notes, and he mm-hmm. said, this was an amazing location. It's really cool because the house is situated on top of a mountain, and the surrounding neighborhood houses are literally underneath it. So it's an amazing uh, vantage point for views around Los Angeles. Nice. Um, so he he even said that in his notes, which is kind of cool. Um, but it has an imposing presence of something else that it, it mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it would have a really, really different feel if it was on the same level as everything else. So, like, mm-hmm. being that high up really does something to the perception of it. Sure. Um, I know that uh, Rose Byrne, who's one of the main characters mm-hmm. in Insidious 2, mm-hmm. um, she commented on the house while she was getting into character. And in her production notes, uh, she's quoted as saying, quote, these places they find are very eerie and weird. Mm-hmm. And dark and low ceilinged, and that for me is very scary. I just think, how could you live in this house? It's mm. just my sensibility. I'm just way too sensitive for it. Even mm-hmm. more than the ghosts and all those sequences, it's the house that gets me. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that just gave me the chills. Oh, that's like, fantastic. And like for her, an actress to say that about a space that they're shooting in. Mm-hmm. Something like that makes me question what is the vibe of that house more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Now, uh, Spider Baby, your other favorite film. I love Spider um, Baby. The Smith Estate, the house, plays the role of the Mary house. Um, it's the home of the Mary family and mm-hmm. history's only sufferers of Mary syndrome, um, a progressive age regression, causing victims mm-hmm. to retreat, quote, beyond the prenatal level, reverting to a prehuman condition of savagery and cannibalism. No wonder you love this movie. It's um, such a good movie. So fun fact about this is that uh, there's another movie called The Silent Scream that it was fil- or it was used for the filming, but the interior of the house, to your point, was like a different location. So they only mm-hmm. use the exterior for The Silent Scream in 1979. That's not the... Wait. I know two silent screams. Is it the 19, like... 79. Early... Oh, apparently three silent screams. Okay. <laughs> well, this one's the 1979 one. Um, and apparently in this one, it's also supposed to be on the coast, not like in the middle of Los mm, Angeles. Okay. Oh, yay, movie magic. Anyway, fun facts. Movie magic. We've kind of painted a picture so far of like, you get the history, you get Mm -hmm. some people's experiences of being in the house filming, right? Mm -hmm. But then we have the lore associated with it and the hauntings, if you will. I think Mm -hmm. I'm curious after I kind of go through some of this, what your thoughts are, Kim, and what the thoughts are of our our listeners. But when you hear about context like this, it's really easy to want a place to be haunted or want something bizarre to be present or have that energy and like what you project onto something is just as real as 
what might actually be there. So I'll just oh, absolutely, yeah, leave that for food for thought. But there are lots of classic like haunted house lore amongst neighbors and people who live nearby throughout the years. Um, those who encountered the house for shooting films, mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. I could not find any any actual evidence 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 to support any of it um some say that the judge still haunts the house sure maybe sure maybe who knows uh a house can look creepy it can look spooky it can even Mm -hmm. be the inspiration for horror films without it actually being haunted though right Mm -hmm. absolutely it's easy to take atmosphere and mistake that for uh genuine haunting um well, and like, honestly, and, and I, I don't feel like I know enough to, and having never been there, I can't sure. make a judgment one way or the other. Um, I think, and I've, I've found this before. There was a spot that I had investigated where the owners were so in love with the idea it was haunted that I think they were kind of feeding it. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that there was things that they would kind of build off each other's excitement of like, yes, I noticed this. Oh yeah. I think I noticed the same thing. And then this, and then this, and then this, and it became something where the idea of the haunting was the most exciting thing. But then you start to look for it everywhere. Were they talking about orbs by chance? (laughs) Uh, this specific location, it was, it's funny because it's the kind of thing where it was like, there was some evidence to to support an actual haunting but there was also a number of these specific uh, examples they had given I found reasons to debunk um, having more to do with again that excitement that like oh you know I I think I noticed XYZ and when you actually start to kind of go into it you're like Oh, this is easily explainable by like the pipes would carry sound and there was more than one staircase. So when they talk about seeing something and then it disappearing, I'm like, well, yeah, but there's a staircase there. You could be literally seeing somebody just walking away. So there was, there's, I, I, this is my very long winded way of saying you get excited about the idea of a haunting, you look for it. And I think it's really easy to then build on that. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why we ask people to document specifics. If you think your place is haunted, write it down, write everything you notice down, but take note. Like, do you live with other people? Where are these people? Do you live with animals? Where are these animals? Yeah. Being, what's the context of the situation? What's the context? Yeah. Because it's we hear out of context stories all the time, and it's it's so easy to be like, oh, that sounds super spooky. But when you start to build context around something, sometimes you find a rational explanation. Yeah, and like, okay, so here's a good example of that mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. um, there's some like notes from people who worked on some of the films that we talked about. So right, yeah, for um it, for Spider Baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> favorite um have you seen spider baby it's amazing no i need to see it i have it on blu-ray i'll lend it to you okay perfect um so apparently the house was vacant and they didn't have any electricity when this movie was shot yeah um and cast and crew members um recalled an instance where sunlight had to be bounced through the house with mirrors to light manton moreland who Mm -hmm. was hovering inside the window Mm -hmm. so that could also create like an ambiance or like you could see something if you really want to see something. Oh, something like that's absolutely. happening. Absolutely. 
And then there was also just to give context to speaking, speaking to your point is that for the silent scream, which was like late seventies, early, basically late seventies, 1979. Um, I think I got like mixed information, 1979, 1980, like whatever year that came out. Um, sure. apparently the house at the time that it was filmed was like a hippie hangout. Mm. What do people do at hippie hangouts? Drugs. Oh, lots of drugs. <laughs> what do drugs make you do? Some of them. Hallucinate. Hallucinate. Guess what like you can see ones. when you hallucinate? Maybe a ghost. I don't know. Weird you shit. You see everything. Like, you see like dancing leprechauns, man. You're seeing anything you want to see. Maybe that's something that could have been brought up as a story there, right? Like, I'm just yeah. giving you context of, like, yeah. things that were happening at the time that these people were, like, you know, no. having it's, stories. It's, it's legit. And it's, it's, it's a good thing to be looking towards because, again... Yeah. If you want to just have a ghost story to tell, then like, sure. If you want to actually try to deduce and determine whether or not something is haunted or something weird's going on, you have to look at these things. Well, and the other thing too is that like, because I think of it on both sides of the, the spectrum, like what else happened that could have caused like a haunting? Uh, apparently, there was a fire in the house in two thousand one. Sure. Um, Either it was fixed up pretty well or it wasn't super affected or damaged. Um, but the other piece of it, too, is that, like, there has there was a quote somewhere that I read that I don't <laughs> – so vague. I don't know how legitimate this is, just like yeah. most of the things we're talking about. But the uh -huh, quote uh -huh. had said, and there were rumors of even darker pursuits never shared with the public, which transpired behind the imposing walls of the Smith estate. This makes me question, like, who is – or is not supporting the narrative of this house mm -hmm. because there have definitely been places that I have been to that I'm like, I feel vibes here. I know mm -hmm. there is something mm -hmm. here. It's an old house. Uh, it's a historic house. It's got tours. This feels spooky as shit. There's mm -hmm. gotta be some, something. And you talk to like a docent in that house and you ask the question about hauntings. Cause you're that guy. I'm that guy. I'll ask that yeah. question. Oh, absolutely. And like, you you get like a, oh no 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 this place has never had any no 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 and like people don't want to admit it or speak to it I think a good example of that is also you know there's certain historical places like um, when I was in New Orleans not like actual New Orleans it was at uh, the Oak Alley Plantation that place has had tons of stories about hauntings but if you ask someone who works there they're going to deny it. Mm -hmm. And so it just depends on like what the owners of the location would like to have publicly known. Yeah. And what they don't want to have publicly known. And I dug deep to try to find something. I could not find anything. So it could mm. also be that maybe there is, and it's just really tightly wound where we can't find that information. Yeah, so that's absolutely. That's a whole other thing too. Absolutely. And people might just want it to be haunted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's more fun to imagine things are haunted. It absolutely is. Life is better when a place is haunted. It totally is. So that's the uh, El Mio, Smith Estate. Nice. Fun, fun story. Is it haunted? Is it not? I don't know. You tell me. I, you know, I don't know. I would like to visit it. I would like to, too. Else. I actually um, sent our friend Kenny on a, 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 a little jaunt. I told him, I was like, hey, did, you want to go check out a haunted did place? Did he actually do it? He's going to. So he'll probably take some <gasps> nice. pictures for us. So we'll credit Kenny for Thank that you, if Kenny. he does do it. Um, if not, when I go to LA next time, I'll, I'll do it. Um, All right. But don't give, give me a reason to go look at a Victorian house. Psh, what? I'd love to do it. Anywho. And this brings us to...
Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim, what you watching? Okay, so what's funny is that when we recorded last and I was like pulling up, because you know, I've started keeping lists of things that I've I've talked about because mm-hmm. uh, I was having trouble tracking what I talked about when I hadn't. And I realized afterwards, I was like, oh shit, I'd seen a movie I meant to talk about and forgot because I hadn't written it down. So we're going to talk about it this week. Nice. And that is... The glory that is Cocaine Bear. Oh, I remember you went to go see it. I went to see it. I went and saw it opening night at Sif, the Egyptian. Uh, it was a blast. You could take your picture with a cutout of um, Pablo Escobar, which is the original <laughs> Cocaine Bear that the, the story is very loosely based. Um is this movie going to like win best picture somewhere? No. Is it a <laughs> pardon my French motherfucking good time? Yes, yes it is. Absolutely. If you are not familiar with Cocaine Bear, let me fill you in. It's a movie about a bear. Oh. That does cocaine. Just quite literal. It's just that's that's it. That's the movie. Uh it takes place in the 80s. And it's it's very loosely based on a true story um, about a drug drop that got intercepted by a bear. Oh uh, and then the bear died. It was actually very sad. Oh. But, well, I mean, he ingested a crap ton of cocaine. Like, makes sense, yeah. Yeah, no, bears, bears die when that happens. But So it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, uh, Yay Women in Horror, and stars Carrie Russell, who's amazing, and Margot Martindale, and uh, What's-His-Butt from Modern Family. And, like, it's full of just, like, oh, it's, it's oh, my goodness. It's, um, it's Ray Liotta's last movie. Oh. Yeah, and he's, he's fantastic. Like, again, it's, I think... If you didn't have such a strong cast, like the cast absolutely elevates the movie, but it's like, man, it's such a good time. I think there's been some critics that have have kind of ripped into it, and I'm like, the movie is called Cocaine Bear. What What are you you expecting? Yeah. It's very straightforward. It's just a really fun silly popcorn movie, but it's it's funny and delightful. So, um, I, I saw Cocaine Bear and loved it. Uh, I absolutely adored it, and I encourage people. It's one that's fun to see in theaters if you can. Nice. I also saw uh, the new Scream movie. I saw an early preview of that. It's by the time this episode released, it'll have been out for a while, but uh, Scream 6. And now... Nice. I'm an unapologetic fan of the Scream franchise. Um, my very first panel at Crypticon was on the Scream movies. I guested recently on on um, Gory B Movies podcast uh, and spoke or her YouTube show and talked about the original Scream. I have a deep love for the franchise. I think it's fantastic. I love Wes Craven. I love Kevin Williamson. Um, I, I enjoyed Part Five. Do I think it's the best of the franchise? No, but I, I thought it was a good time. That being said, part six is probably my favorite since the original. Nice. Now, not everybody agrees with me. There are those who who are were really not a fan, and that's fair again. Um, movies are very subjective. We have personal connections to things for a reason. I really liked it. I thought it was a it was a really nice way to honor what's come before, but still move the franchise forward if that's their intention. Uh 
is it doing anything new? Not really, but it's it's well done. It's funny. It's fun. It's a good slasher. It's uh, I I dig any slasher film set in a city because you don't see it happen enough. Um, so yeah, I really really liked it. Uh, so I yeah I've been I've been seeing a lot of movies in theaters when I can lately because you know how I love to do that. Yep. So that's what I've been watching. What are you been nice. watching? Um, well, I watched Insidious 2, yes, <laughs> which did. I talked about earlier, so spoiler for Creepy Critics Corner. Um, but I also, like, happened across a movie that I actually am really glad that I watched. Okay. Um, I don't use HBO, like, at all that often, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's some gems in there that are, like, yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And uh, I love Jenny Slate. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, I love Jenny Slate. With Jenny yes. Slate. Don't be suspicious. Don't be don't suspicious. suspicious. Well, and she, um, obvious child. I saw her. That's in... what I was going to talk about. <gasps> oh no, wait. I saw that in theaters when it first came out. That's the movie I watched. That's literally what I was like. This is a oh, gem of a movie. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, so I watched Obvious Child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a heartwarming movie, yeah. and also it's just a, like. A rom-com about abortion. <laughs> a rom-com about abortion, but also, yeah. like, with some, like, really uncomfortable comedy in it, too, which, mm-hmm. like, I'm a big fan of uncomfortable comedy. And just, like, in general, um, I think, like, there's a lot that doesn't get shown in movies anymore that's, uh-huh. like, real. Um, whether it's, like, what happens internally within relationships or, like, what doesn't happen and, like, so much is sugar-coated or, like, not realistic. And there's just, like, so many, like, great moments in that where you're like, wow, yeah, I've experienced something like that before. It's relatable. It's very relatable. And, like, the fact that, like, she's... So the, the premise of the story, if you haven't seen this movie, I'm talking about it like you know it because Kim just mentioned it and obviously she's Sorry. seen it. Um, I, I saw it when it first came out. I was in, in 2014. Uh, I went and saw it in theaters, and mostly because my ex at the time was was into it. May have been Jenny Slate. I remember was into somebody in it, or or I think David Cross is in it. Um, he is in it. He plays a really yeah. creepy freaking dude in it. That like, that might have been why. But we 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 had gone and seen it at, at one of the local indie theaters, and and yeah. I I loved it. I I vaguely knew Jenny Slate before that, but this was what really cemented her in my mind. Is like when she showed up in Parks and Rec for the first time, I was like, hey. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, she's great. Sorry. And like mm-hmm. that's it's on HBO Max if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um basically the the premise of the story is she gets dumped by her boyfriend. Um he's cheating on her with his with her like best friend. She's really upset and has like a one night stand with uh this one dude who's shown up in a bunch of movies recently actually. I forgot his name. I'll come back to it later. But um <laughs> has a one night stand, gets pregnant and then has to figure mm-hmm. out what to do. And Gabby Hoffman's also in it, which you don't really see her in a lot of stuff anymore. Um, Terrence thought she was like a completely different person when I was watching this movie. I was like, no, no, no. This is definitely Gabby Hoffman from now Mm -hmm. and then, but like grown up. Um, And yeah, David Cross is in it too. And like the character that he plays just gave me so much cringe that I was like, oh God, I don't know if I like David Cross anymore after seeing that character. (laughs) Like it's just, he's been doing a lot of cringe lately, both Uh, in life and on screen. Yeah. So like, I don't know how I feel about him as much, but it's a really, um, I think heartwarming story about like her relationship with her mom. It's a really Mm -hmm. heartwarming story about like friendship and just like people in her life that were supportive to her during a really tough time. And like, uh, there's a lot going on that is very realistic to life. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's a, a massive stigma around abortion. And yeah. this was, you know, 
a great film to kind of remove some of that stigma and give you a real life experience that mm-hmm. talks about like how this was actually a really good thing for her. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, highly recommend this movie. It's, it's really good. And at the very end, I was just like, oh, this is such a good movie. And I don't usually do that. So like, hmm. I really liked it. I thought it was nice. very sweet. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've just been watching the regular old trash TV. So that's not the right home about. <laughs> uh, but having said that, thank you guys for listening. This has been a fun uh, topic about my favorite Victorians. Um, and uh, if you like what we do, head on over to Patreon and listen to more content. Depending on what <laughs> level of uh, ghoul you would like to be, you get different yeah, options of true. content you receive. So head on over to Patreon and take a look at what we have over there. Um, if you would like to support us without a financial like donation, go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a rating and review. We really appreciate. It makes um, a big difference. And if you would like to have some visuals with everything that we do, check out our socials, uh, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or our website, which is ghoulishtendencies.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on the interwebs. Just find us. Um, <laughs> and having said that, thank you for listening. And stay.